Wait, wait, wait. Don't drink that. What? Why? It has ovacetol in it. Oh my god, what's gonna happen to me? Nothing. It's a supplement for women with PCOS. I mix it with water and it doesn't taste like anything. Ovacetol is a special blend of inositols and it helps heal my cravings, regulate my period, and improve my mood. So don't accidentally drink it. Oh my god, I'm getting a period. No, it just helps with blood sugar control. For many women with PCOS like me, insulin resistance is one of the root issues underneath all these awful symptoms. Here's how it works, babe. When we eat, it's broken down into sugar and the lovely insulin hormone takes that and gives it to our cells to get burned up. But when our cells are resistant, insulin is left floating around in the bloodstream, making us think we're still hungry, leading to awful cravings. Not just that, insulin triggers high testosterone, which affects my period and my mood so i'm not getting my period no babe you're not but i am this episode is brought to you by pure spectrum cbd sirak and i have been taking cbd and we are loving it i'm holding the tincture right now talian can you open your mouth please now yeah i'm gonna give you a dosage <laughs> now keep it there for 60 seconds mm -hmm. while she does that let me tell you the great benefits of cbd for pcos studies show it reduces cortisol mm. improves insulin sensitivity mm. Reduces inflammation. Mm -hmm. You can go to PureSpectrumCBD.com now to order and use the code the sisterhood one word at checkout for 20% off. Natalian, hold it for 30 seconds longer while the sisters enjoy the show. <laughs> Welcome to A Sister and Her Mister, a podcast where we show you the real behind the scenes of how we balance the PCOS lifestyle in our marriage, gluten and dairy free. I'm Talin, your fellow sister and registered dietitian. And I'm Sirak husband, engineer, and PCOS personal trainer. We're gonna make PCOS a little less overwhelming and a lot more fun. Welcome everybody. Yes, welcome sisters to a new episode of the podcast, A Sister and Her Mister. We have Dr. Jolene Brighton here to join us. Yay, we're so excited. Thank you so much for coming on Dr. Brian. Yeah, thanks for having me. I love that, a sister and her mister. <laughs> <laughs> just a brief introduction before we launch into this podcast, just so and everyone in the audience knows who you are. If you don't know already. If you don't know already and you haven't read her book already. <laughs> Dr. Jolene Brighton is the author of Beyond the Pill and is a prominent leader in women's medicine and the emerging signs of post-birth control syndrome, studying the effects of hormonal birth control on female health. She's a fierce patient advocate and completely dedicated to uncovering the root cause of hormonal imbalances. Dr. Brighton empowers women worldwide to take control of their health and their hormones. She is an international speaker, clinical educator, medical advisor within the tech community and considered a leading authority on women's health. Her work has been featured in the New York Post, Forbes, Cosmopolitan, Huffington Post, Bustle, The Guardian, and ABC News. Great introduction. I know. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> That's pretty flawless. I'm like, nice. Well done. <laughs> yeah. And uh, just for the sisters, we wanted to have Dr. Jolene Brighton on because she's a prominent leader in this uh, in this field but also yeah. as most of you know tomorrow is pcos awareness month and we kind of wanted to start this month off with a very very prominent leader in this field and we want to kind of spread the information you know there are always many questions about birth control and like whether that should be the first thing or you know second thing so we kind of wanted to you know spread that awareness like from the first day of the month that's right 
Mm-hmm. It is. It's always the go-to. You have PCOS. And what do most, do most women with PCOS here? You have PCOS, you're infertile, or it's going to be really, really hard to get pregnant, and birth control is your only option. Have a great day. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it, right? Yeah. That's the appointment, yeah. the initial yeah. appointment. Would you say you, you see like a large number of women with PCOS? Oh, yes. So, you know, one in 10 women are, you know, it's expected that one in 10 self-identified women are expected to have PCOS. And so Mm -hmm. it does make up a large portion of the population. And so we have to keep in mind that there's the people we've diagnosed and then there's the people we haven't even diagnosed yet who maybe got put on birth control for irregular periods or maybe they were having acne. They're having other symptoms. And because their doctor is still stuck in the archaic mindset that anyone with PCOS must be overweight or obese, they sometimes don't get screened or they don't get their symptoms taken seriously. Or because there's just this magic pill I can pass you and make everything go away and fix you, they don't even ask the question as to why she has those symptoms, which is a big part of the work I do. Look, if you want to use the pill, I have no problem with that. You want to get an IUD, a patch, nuka ring, like whatever works for you for pregnancy prevention, I'm going to support you in that. But when you're being passed these hormones as a fix, as a fix to your symptoms, and no one's asked, why do you have those symptoms or what else could be going on? We're talking to you about the nuances of your individualized needs and your body going on that birth control. We've got a big problem. Right. Yeah. Totally. And oftentimes when they get off of birth control, they find that their symptoms come back, all of them. Oh, yes. With a vengeance. With a vengeance. <laughs> Is this part of both post-birth control syndrome? So post-birth control syndrome can be the return of symptoms that you had before, which were completely or mildly suppressed. Birth control doesn't always work to suppress things like acne. Um, so it can be a return of the symptoms you had before, or it can be brand new symptoms that you never experienced before. So for some women, they never had acne, as an example. They get off birth control, now they suddenly have acne. Or they get off birth control, and now they have headaches. They get off birth control, now they're starting to have gallbladder symptoms coming up. So it can look like a lot of different things because hormonal birth control, just like your natural hormones, dock on receptors that exist throughout the entire body, which means they can impact every single system in the body. And this is a problem with the compartmentalization of medicine. Now, it's great when you need a specialist to have the person that's like, kidneys, I'm all about kidneys, I just do kidneys, yay. But for the most part, for like the day-to-day stuff we struggle with or just getting in tune with our body, that disconnect can be a disservice where you go to your gynecologist and you're saying, okay, I've come off of birth control and now I'm having gastrointestinal issues. So I'm having like diarrhea or bloating. And they say, well, that's not my wheelhouse. You're going to go to the gastroenterologist and that can't have anything to do with birth control because birth control, reproductive organs, uh, organs, Uh lady parts. And that's where they, they rest things instead of saying, no, actually there might be something to that, which we know through studies that there, there is, you know, women often get dismissed or they don't get their needs met or they don't follow up going to that next specialist because let's face it, nobody wants to bounce from doctor to doctor or go to these additional appointments. I say that as a doctor, we're the worst patients. We are the worst patients, (laughs) but you know, that can happen as well. So with post-birth control syndrome, maybe it's what you had before. Maybe it's what you had before mixed with some new things, or maybe it's entirely new symptoms coming back or coming on. (laughs) What does post-birth control syndrome typically look like and how do you treat it in your practice? Mm -hmm. 
So like I was saying, post-birth control syndrome, it shows up you know, typically four to six months after stopping hormonal birth control. It can be sooner, it can be later. And something really important for women to recognize is that first bleed that you have when you stop the pill, you pull the ring and you don't replace it, you don't put a new patch on, that's not an actual period. So the entire time you're on birth control, you are not having a period. There is no cycle. If there is, then you might get pregnant and that's not how it's designed to work. So there's no cycle, there's no period. Very important if you have PCOS, because when your doctor says we fixed your period and then you come off that first bleed, that's a, that's a withdrawal bleed, then you have no period after that. Then mm-hmm. women often think, okay, well, the pill fixed me and I, the only way I can be fixed is while I'm on it. Well, no, it didn't actually fix your cycle. So with polycystic ovarian syndrome, the loss of menstruation after stopping birth control is expected. So if you had a regular period or you were diagnosed with PCOS, when you come off, we expect it could take six months to see your period come back. Mm -hmm. So with that, that wouldn't be post-birth control syndrome. That is PCOS. If you've had that diagnosis before, if you haven't had the diagnosis before, now you've got to go, you are in that that PBCS, that post-birth control syndrome limbo while you're waiting to get that diagnosis. So if you lose your period after birth control, we don't want to just assume this is part of post-birth control syndrome and it will come back. We want to work it up and see what else could be going on. For example, hormonal birth control impacts your thyroid. So it could have led to a thyroid issue. That could be the root of your regular periods. But for some women, there is, we can't find anything else going on. There's just a hiccup in how their brain and ovaries are talking. Because mm-hmm. for however long you've been on birth control, so this is how it stops you from ovulating. Everyone listen up because none of us get told this. And if you got told this, that's awesome. You have a great provider, but birth control works at your brain level. So it works at the brain level to stop the brain from secreting hormones that then talk to your ovaries. So when wow. you come off of birth control, it can take some time to reestablish that. It can be three months, six months. We know with Depo-Provera shot, that can take up to 18 months sometimes for you to start um, ovulating again. And that can be true for other forms of birth control, just depending on your body. We don't have great studies on the outliers of like, we've got the young, healthy population, no pre-existing condition. That's who we wanted to use birth control for. By the way, if you have PCOS, you don't fall into that camp. What we Mm. don't have the study on is, well, what about the women who do lose their period afterwards? And like, you know, everything was normal. We don't have a giant, large, robust study on that. So we have to understand that most of the studies we are looking at a young, healthy population. So when you come off of birth control at 40, you, you weren't in the studies. We weren't, we weren't thinking about you when we did that research, right? So with post-birth control syndrome, there's the period problems that can come up. There's the skin problems. We can see acne, cystic acne, oily skin, hair loss. We can also see issues with eczema, psoriasis, weird rashes that seem to come out of nowhere. That's because our hormones are involved with our immune system as well. So you can see that piece new onset neurological symptoms. So migraines, headaches, brain fog, yeah, anxiety, depression. So with that, you know, in Beyond the Pill, I go through a quiz that's like, okay, let's get dialed in with what's going on with your hormones. And then we take really this five prong approach. And that doesn't mean that everyone needs a whole lot of focus in every single area, but every area needs to be considered. Number one is what's your hormone imbalance? What was your hormone imbalance? Maybe when you went on birth control, that happens more in a one-on-one visit. 
within the book, it's more like, okay, what's going on right now? What's on fire right now? And let's handle that. But, you know, as it relates to PCOS, you know, the, one of those prongs is metabolic health. So hormonal birth control is inflammatory. It can lead to blood sugar, uh, insulin resistance, blood sugar dysregulation, and it can lead to cardiovascular issues. So risks coming up with that. So we have to look at that because here's the thing that like nobody ever really likes to talk about is that if your blood sugar is not right, none of your hormones are going to be right. So I like to use a hormone pyramid. The foundation is insulin and cortisol and other adrenal hormones. Mm -hmm. If that foundation isn't right, right above that's your thyroid. That's not going to be right. Right above that is your sex hormones. That's the tippy top. That's where the symptoms really present. And we're like, oh my God, like I have to handle this. Mm -hmm. But it really comes down to how is your blood sugar? And not everyone, you know, this is a tricky thing with PCOS is that People are like, well, not everyone with PCOS has insulin resistance. And I always ask the question of, or is it that they've got their diet and lifestyle so dialed in that that yeah. insulin resistance is not presenting? So is it true that not everyone with PCOS um, has insulin resistance? Of course, that's true. You guys know people who have been able to put their insulin resistance in check. I have tons of patients who they had insulin resistance. They only use diet and lifestyle. Insulin resistance is in check. So is it that like not everyone has it so we don't talk about that with everyone absolutely not like everybody on the planet needs to be evaluated for blood sugar and how their insulin is regardless if they have pcos or not if it doesn't show up in a lab everybody listening please understand that is one snapshot in time it might mm -hmm. not be showing up right. so what many of us will do is rather than just looking at fasting insulin even a hemoglobin a1c which is the average of the last three months or fasting glucose. Fasting glucose is like kind of worthless um, for the most part. It's like a quick and dirty screening tool, but if it doesn't come up, I'm like, it's not enough to hang our hat on. We may also do a glucose challenge where we actually have you consume like 50 grams of glucose, um, a gross sugary beverage, and then test you over a couple hour period to see how you respond. Because when you fast, your blood sugar might look great, but most of us aren't going through every single day fasting. At some point, you're going to put something in your mouth, right? Yeah. And like, statistically speaking, 70% of women with PCOS have insulin resistance, but like that 30%, how much of that 30% just has it under control. And then we mm -hmm. even see like the impact, like through our Instagram comments and questions that we get, it's usually all like usually 99% about insulin resistance, like, yeah. like the, the symptoms of hirsutism, which can be linked to insulin resistance mm -hmm. and such. So like, yeah, like I, I would agree that I feel like that's one of the bigger main sources of yeah. like all of our symptoms. And also even just the slightest bit of insulin resistance, like that's mm -hmm. maybe not detected in blood work can trigger symptoms and people overlook that often or doctors are often overlooking that mm -hmm. or not even checking for blood sugar dysregulation mm -hmm. and just handing yeah. birth control. Well, because sometimes they'll look at you and say, well, are you overweight? You're not, you can't have insulin resistance. And that's why I said like, that's archaic. Like, that is, I, I'll see these doctors who are like posting about body positivity and how like, oh, you can't, um, you can't judge someone's health by the way that they look. And then they'll have a post about like, oh, well, you only need to like, oh, or I'll see a video where they're like, you only need to check insulin if you're overweight. And I'm like, yo, did you not just hear what you said before? Like there's a disconnect here because you cannot gauge someone's health based on their appearance. They're, you know, they call it lean PCOS. I mean, uh -huh. it's like, a, it's a tricky thing, right? We like, 
need language, but also that language is the labeling and that can mm -hmm. be detrimental as well. Um, to where people are like, oh, well, you know, I don't get treated the same because I'm called lean PCOS. So mm -hmm. people don't consider my metabolic health because they're like, oh, you're lean. So when I was getting, uh, so I was studying for my master's in nutrition, my work was in sarcopenic obesity, which is where you start to lose muscle and you're replacing it with fat. And these people will have really skinny arms and legs and then central adiposity. So their mm -hmm. midsection is where their fat is going to be held and around their organs. That's way more dangerous. So this is like, I'm dating myself. This is like 20 years ago. Okay. 20 years ago, we're like, whoa, it's way more dangerous. We need, really need to pay attention to this. So somebody might be wearing an outfit to their doctor or otherwise, and they're not in a gown, you know, and their arms and their legs appear skinny, but there's some belly fat, or maybe there's not even that much belly fat, but we've got that central adiposity where you, you look fine, but around your organs isn't fine. And am I going to send you out for a scan and be like, let's expose you to some radiation and get a scan done? And I'm like, no, we're not going to do that. Um, but we can extrapolate from the studies that we just need to test. And we also need to be asking questions like when you eat a high carb meal. So it, let's go Thanksgiving meal. If you want to fall asleep afterwards and you're feeling really tired. Okay. If that's you, you might have blood sugar dysregulation. If you wake up in the middle of the night and so sometimes night waking is blood sugar issues. Sometimes hot flashes are blood sugar issues. So there's these symptoms where it's like, you know, you have, you say, okay, I wake up in the night and I'm feeling kind of anxious. And your doctor's like, oh, you need like an Ambien or you need Xanax. You have anxiety. And really, if we probe a little bit more, what time did you eat dinner? What did you eat for dinner? When you wake up, I want you to try like eating a little bit of something. Like how, how does that impact you? Because what can happen is that let's, so we hear doctors will say things like don't eat carbs after 3 p.m., or don't eat after six o'clock or you will gain weight. If you want to lose weight, you have to like eat in this certain time. So maybe generally speaking, some of these things are good information, but on the one-on-one, -on -one, we need to get more individualized. And for some people actually eating carbs, like a couple hours before they go to bed, keeps them asleep. Now we couple that with fat and we make it complex carbs, or sometimes it's just fat and amino acids. So in my book, I have a upgraded turmeric latte, a golden milk latte, um, that upgraded gold milk is because it has uh, amino acids in it that you're going to have collagen and then it's got some fat in it as well. And that can actually help you stay asleep. So when our blood sugar gets low, we spike stress hormones to liberate it, to say, let's liberate our blood sugar. That can wake us up. They also can make us feel hot and panicky. And mm -hmm. so sometimes by actually eating a little closer to bed, we can stay asleep through the night. And that's one way we can start to control our blood sugar. That's so uh, interesting. interesting. Yeah. We're going to ask no. them. Speaking of weight gain, um, after people get off birth control, they find that they're gaining a lot of weight. Do you think that it's because they're insulin resistant or the pill makes them more insulin resistant? Do you feel like that's related? It's so tricky with weight and the pill. So there are outliers. There are people who gain significant weight when they go on birth control. There's those that are like, we can chalk it up to water weight. There are those that lose weight when they get on birth control. <clears throat> you add them all together, you take an average, and then research says it's not significant the weight gain yeah. you have. And then we see the same thing when people come off of birth control. So 
a couple things. So birth control um, can impact, so it's inflammatory, which means that it can make the cells rigid. It can impact how you dock hormones like insulin and thyroid hormone. With that, you'll mount a cortisol response and that's what's dampening your inflammation. But cortisol, we know, it's also a stress hormone and your body doesn't know. Um, do I have artificial exogenous hormones that never existed in nature before coming into my system to suppress yeah. my ovulation? Or is there something going on in the environment that means that we are not safe and I need to store fat? Like that is something that your body doesn't know. Like we're like, yay, we have this birth control and it's been around for a couple of generations. So it must be safe and your body just adapts to it. And it's like, we, we just have to respect I mean, it's like respecting nature overall. When do humans intervene with like mass changes that like we've seen the environment benefits greatly without any consequence whatsoever? It doesn't happen. There's going to be some consequences. So there's that piece. And there's also the piece of how it affects the thyroid, which we know controls mood, metabolism, menses, gut motility. So there's that piece as well. And so with women, there's, there can be the alteration in what's happening, your oral hormones, there can be the inflammation piece. We also don't know, we know it alters the gut microbiota. We know that altered gut microbiota can make some people gain weight and have weight issues. We don't, we don't have a study. Like, so right now, someone out there is going to listen to this and say, well, she should just shut up because we don't have a study on that until we have a study to like prove that, that she shouldn't talk about it. How are we going to get there? And yeah. I can't wait around for a study to come out and then for researchers to get that into doctors' hands and then doctors to actually implement that on just anything about the menstrual cycle because we know that can take 17 years. And I'm not going to be menstruating likely in 17 years. So, <laughs> I mean, that's the reality, right? So yeah. we have to really, I mean, as I say that, I'm like, well, maybe I've got like some time. <laughs> but, but with that, you know, the reality is, is that we have to start validating women's questions sooner, but we also have to start just having these conversations because when medicine comes in and says, well, we don't have a study to validate your story. So just shut up. That's a disservice to women. And that is a throwback to the same stuff that they have been doing since the inception of medicine. Leave women out of the conversation. Women are just small men. So just treat them like that. They're just the inferior version of a man's body. Oh, don't talk about women's bodies. That's too improper. We won't even dissect women's bodies because we don't need to understand them. We can get everything we can from a man. Like, and people right now might be like that. Yeah, that happened a long time ago, except that like, in like in the 1980s, the, the hysteria was still a diagnosis that we were giving women. So we have to also understand that like, while these things may seem like they happened a long time ago, they laid the foundation for a system that continues to not serve women. And we keep saying like, we've got we've to change the system. We need reform. And someone just recently said to me, the entire foundation is just so broken for women that it, it just needs, we need a jackhammer. We have to dig the whole thing up and start over. Um, that was, that was a medical doctor who said that to me. And I was like, Oh my God, I don't even know what that looks like. Like I don't yeah. even know what that would look like. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree. Cause statistically they look at the number of dollars spent on research and it's predominantly male. And like, even like for me as a, as a male, when I heard about birth control and like what it does, like it stops you ovulating, stops your cycle. And then you explaining that, oh, it's basically sending, like sending this information to your body to stop producing these hormones and disconnecting the brain from your ovaries, like these kinds of things. To me, it sounds crazy that like, 
that people are subjecting themselves to this yeah or like it's being handed out like no, skittles yeah. or something oh, for yeah. people with hormonal issues you know it's just like there's so much happening to the body when this is being prescribed that it should be very carefully taken like it should they should go through yeah. like three or four different like options op- before coming up with or like control. screenings like maybe first do this then do this then if none of these work then we put you on birth control yeah. kind of a thing yeah well there's a history here though and all of this that most people are not aware of so Number one is that uh, women didn't initially want birth control. It was actually Margaret Sanger um, with a group of dudes who decided that we needed this. Basically, there's there's a touch of eugenics in here. So Margaret Sanger, you know, really felt like disfavorable shouldn't be reproducing, and um, she. So I mean, here's the thing, like. Nobody talks about this. I mean, people like have hated me for a long time because I talk about this. But here's the thing. Birth control was not born out of this. Like we want women to have rights and be liberated. That's the the rebranded marketing we got. It really was born out of the, we don't want poor people reproducing and all of these black and brown bodies like need to slow their role on these children. And so what they did is they actually brought birth control to Puerto Rico. That's where they did the initial trials because, and here's the thing. It was not done with consent. It was not done with a true informed consent. So the initial trial on birth control did not believe women needed a true informed consent. And they believed that women needed to have their bodies controlled so that they did not create more babies. Like, and so that's really what came in and it was exploitive. They exploited the Puerto Rican women and some of them died and that was pushed underneath the rug and then we didn't talk about it. Then the birth control, you know, was brought in. There were other trials where uh, female med students, they wanted to become doctors. They couldn't stay in med school unless they subjected themselves to taking birth control. It was a lot of coercion. So birth control, this is where it started, right? Now, look, I did the pill for 10 years. I'm not anti-birth control. Grateful that I had that available, but I also did not get the informed consent. And an informed consent is an ethical obligation to your provider to do exactly what you just said explain how it works, explain how it might impact you, explain what your other options are and give you options. But most of the time we are still coerced into using birth control. And when you withhold information, so some doctors might listen to this right now and be like, I do not coerce my patients. When you only give them the favorable data and you withhold the unfavorable data, you have coerced them. And when you actually get to their only option, you have manipulated them into taking a treatment. So that is a big problem. And when birth control stepped onto the scene in, so in the 1950s, we have the trials in the 1960s, it becomes available only if you're already married, because otherwise, you know, we still don't, we don't, we don't get to have like women taking birth control if they're not married. Um, so was it really about unplanned pregnancies? Was it, no, it was about controlling the female body and that like you have to get married if you want to have access to this. And so women actually rejected the OG feminists were like, no, these birth control side effects are horrific. We're not going to take it. This is just another way to control the female body. It's making us sick. It's making us moody. It's having all these problems. And the, then it went um, you know, in front of the government and it never really got addressed. Instead, they remarketed and rebranded it as women's liberation. And we can't deny 
we started graduating college at a higher rate. We started making more money. Like things did change with the introduction of birth control. However, this is the part of history that gets left out of the conversation conveniently. I mean, when I learned that Margaret Sanger met with the KKK to help forward the birth control agenda, I lost my mind. I was wow. like, whoa. Like, so I come from a large Hispanic family, which is why my, my family's history with medicine is very different than like my white colleagues. Like they're, they're like, yeah, no, it's all good. Doctors help everyone. And I'm like, see, but like I have family members who had forced sterilization. So I come from a different place to be like, we have to be telling the full story here. Does that make birth control the devil? No, but it also means that if it doesn't work for you, you're not broken and you're not the problem. And that we have to start just telling the truth here because we can't expect to change a system. So as doctors, I'm me right now, I can't expect to change a system whose history I won't even acknowledge or won't even discuss. Like how can we improve if we're just like hush, hush, hush. And I also think it's a tremendous disservice. So this is part of my dedication and beyond the pill to every woman who went before us so they could show us there's another way. To these women who lost their lives, so women who continue to lose their lives because they don't get a full park human informed consent, like your name should not be forgotten and erased from history because the narrative goes, if we talk about this ugly history or we talk about the side effects, then women will be afraid and not take birth control. They're not dumb. Stop treating women like they're so dumb and that the only person who knows what's best for a woman is the one that, that wears the white coat. We have to stop that rhetoric. Women should be informed. I'm one of the doctors that's like, let social media educate women. Yeah. Let these conversations take place. When you see other doctors saying, we need more censorship, only doctors should be allowed to teach on social media. Only doctors oh should be allowed God. to have these conversations. There's organizations that are coming up being like, we are doctors and we will be the ones to police all health information on social yeah, media. We're just scared. Is, well, come on. But like, we can be real here that like, is there misinformation out there? Yeah, there definitely is. However, I am like, I, I'm of the mindset that I can teach people how to think critically, how to understand their body so well that your doctor can't gaslight you and someone on social media can't either. And that's where I really think we need to go is stop saying, doctor is gatekeeper to all information. This happens with PCOS so, so much. Yeah. You, you are, it's almost as if sometimes that you are left undereducated, so you will just do what you're told. And that's what propels women to go into, you know, Facebook groups and to go on Instagram and follow accounts and go on YouTube and do their own research. I think that's phenomenal. My best patients are the ones that like, have done all this research and then they bring it back to me. And I'm like, write down your questions. Let's go through them. Because some of this information is 100% true, but it's not true for you. So let's sort the basket and let's go through that. So I'm, I'm all for like having the information out there. When I see misinformation, I don't go and dog on people. I don't go and be like, you're not a doctor. You shouldn't talk about this. It's more of like, hey, thank you for sharing your story. And I just want to let you know that X, Y, and Z might be what is actually going on here. Like the same respect that you want to get as a person, you can pay forward. And actually, you know, instead of viewing it as like, oh, there's just these malicious people trying to spread misinformation. Sure, sure, sure. Those people exist. But like, I, for one, don't want to walk through my life thinking that's the way everybody rolls. I'd rather think 
they're trying to help and good job on trying to help. Now let's elevate it. Let's elevate the conversation. So it does help. So it is more beneficial. Yeah, totally. And like, like you said, you want to educate yourself. So it doesn't feel like you're going to the mechanic and the mechanic is just throwing you <laughs> a bill and you don't know anything about cars. So you're just like, sure, like do whatever you can to fix it. Like you want to be opposite of that for your body, like go in there yeah. fully informed, know the pros and cons of birth control of anything for of that anything. matter. Yeah. And then like go into it like that. So when the doctor tells you something, you actually have like a, like a thought process instead yeah. of like being yeah. forcefully saying yes or something. Yeah. When it comes How to, did, yeah, I want to just touch on that analogy. How do people feel about mechanics? How like, do people, they don't trust them, right? Yeah. They don't trust them. They also feel like they're going to do something, something shady to like upcode and that they might break stuff and they're going to make them dependent on them. Right. Your analogy is so perfect because that's mm -hmm. how a lot of people feel about doctors too. And doctors are like, <laughs> and I don't blame them. You know, like they're like, no, you should trust me. I want to help you. And yeah, like nobody goes to school for over a decade and gives up their life and dedication of service to like not want to help people. But here, like this is something that I learned. So I, I worked uh, in a homeless clinic for two years. I worked in a community clinic that was within a Baptist church. Like I worked with populations. So I worked with a large black demographic. I worked with people who lived on the street who had no, they didn't even have door privilege of closing their door at night. Some of them didn't even have a social security number. They didn't exist to the government. Like, so it works with all of these different populations. And what I will say is, is that in reflection of things, they taught me a lot, but something they definitely taught me is you never tell a patient to trust you. You never tell a patient that they can trust you. If your patient doesn't trust you, you have to recognize that trust is earned through small, repetitive actions. And rather than saying like, I'm not like those guys, trust me, you need to stand back and say, how can I help you trust me? Where is that disconnect happening? And recognize that it's gonna be over time. And as I say this, everybody listening, this like you might be like, well, yeah, why are we supposed to trust you? You are not supposed to just trust me at face value. Right. And that's why you'll see it on my social media and you'll hear me say it time and time again. Be a troublemaker. Question everything. I say things that are true. Ask if it's true for you. Don't just take what I say as gospel because that that is not going to be a service to you. I want to teach you about your body. I want you to be informed and I want you to ask about what's true for you. So like with PCOS, I get women all the time. They're like, why aren't you telling everyone to do keto? Keto works for me. Keto mm -hmm. works for some. Keto doesn't mm -hmm. work for all. You'll hear other people out there saying, keto's bad. No women should do keto, except the ones that it works for. Like, there's not. So you won't hear me making these kinds of blanket statements. Um, and if I do, you can call me out on it and be like, ah, I got you. You did it. Great. Okay. Like, I can do better. But <clears throat> with that, to recognize that, like, we don't, so when, to bring it back to birth control, birth control works really well sometimes to get rid of that cystic acne. So a woman can have the best wedding photos ever. Okay. Like, awesome. Like, are we going to shame and judge her for that? No. So birth control may be the best thing for you. And I want to support you in understanding your body, knowing what to look out for, knowing how to talk to your doctor when things go haywire, but it might be the worst thing that happened to you. Mm -hmm. Like your story is valid as well. 
What would you say to sisters out there who are looking for a supportive doctor? Like what kind of advice could you give them? Because we often say like, find a better doctor, but that's often really frustrating. They go through like 10 different doctors and they keep struggling with the same issues. What are some tips you can give them to find a more informed doctor? Mm -hmm. And isn't this so true? So I used to say like, find a doctor who listens. And then I had, you know, over time, I'm like, you know, I keep getting this theme where like, and it'll be one woman. Okay. It won't be like, oh, this like crowd. It'll be like one person says, you know, it's not very helpful to hear that because I can't find a doctor who listens. And I sat with that and I was like, I'm not listening. <laughs> when I say find a doctor who listens and you say that's not helpful, I'm not listening. You are saying that. That's not helpful. Yes, you want to find a doctor who listens. And how do you do that? So I have at drbrighton.com, you go to drbrighton.com slash medical team. You will see our medical team that we have put together. These are reviewers. These are actual clinicians who review articles on drbrighton.com. So for example, we have an OB-GYN who reviewed our fibroids article and she does fibroid surgery. She, she's clinically, I don't do that. So I'm like, here's an article. I need the clinician who's doing the surgery. Let us know what's the update, what's changed. And if people need help, they can go see you. So we have actual clinicians who are practicing reviewing these articles so that we put together a database. We've been trying for a long time to figure out like how, so I, I was sending people to the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians, to in, uh, Institute of Functional Medicine, to the Academy uh, for Advancement in Aging, um, the A4M, I, and sending people to all these databases. But then people were coming back to me and saying, that helps, but sometimes it's like a needle in the haystack because I contact someone, they're not practicing, or they're like on the functional medicine's website, but they're not actually practicing functional medicine. They just like went to a conference, but they're not really practicing that. So it became like, okay, a question of how do we do better? So that's one thing. If you guys get on there, you're going to see there's like a dozen docs. We're working on it. I was like, how do we vet doctors? Cause I'm like, I don't want these people on my website. If they're like just paying to be here. Right. Some people, yeah. like most databases are paid for databases yeah. where people uh-huh pay to be on a day. All that is, is who has money and wants to pay. Does that actually help? So instead I have been, these are doctors that I'm in communication with. Have I been in their practice? No, but I know them as a human and they've reviewed our articles and they're in agreement with how we approach care. So that's one source. Now, if you are a woman with polycystic ovarian syndrome, you are one more likely to struggle for years and go through multiple doctors. It can take you five plus doctors before you find someone who's actually going to listen. So a couple of things, so is to get prepared for your visit, write down all of your questions and write down the lab testing that you would like to have done. There are some doctors who will only do a transverse uh, ultrasound. It's an internal ultrasound. Oh, polycystic ovaries? Nope, you don't have PCOS. I'm like, dude, stop. Yeah, it's only one of the symptoms. Yeah. It's one of the criteria of the uh, Rotterdam criteria, and it's not the best one. And the older you are, the less likely you are to see those cysts on the ovaries because a lot of people are starting to debate are those really cysts? Like, PCOS shouldn't even call it PCOS. Like, that, but like, oh my gosh, as, um, Dr. Fiona McCullough, if you guys haven't had her on, she's yeah. awesome. We, oh, we, we would love to. Yeah, we have her book. 
Uh-huh. I'm going to introduce you. Okay. Mama of three with PCOS and her and I were having a conversation. I was just like, man, it's just so outdated and incorrect of a term. And she's like, but we had to fight so hard for medicine to even acknowledge that PCOS is real. This, why? 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 Like, this is like where I pull out my hair. People who are watching are going to be like, I can see her fists. My fists of rage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching too much X-Men and Marvel uh, in lockdown. <laughs> but um, <laughs> like, don't make me go Cyclops on you. I'm going to burn it all down. So <laughs> we were seriously just watching the Avengers last night too. I'm like, oh God. So with that though, um, you know, we have to fight so hard for medicine to take anything seriously in women's health. Polycystic ovarian syndrome. PMS, what's going on with birth control side effects and post birth control syndrome right now? So many doctors lining up being like, that's not real. Oh, we're not going to have the conversation. Oh, because of this, that is just like, when you say that you are saying to women that their symptoms are not real. And then you're saying, now, trust me, I'm the expert. <laughs> come on, like, stop <laughs> that. Like, come on. Like, nobody's going to respect you just because you say like, here's the thing. Like, you also see people being like, these are my credentials. This is like, you know, you know, the general public still isn't going to trust you. Like when you say that, but people like, don't, I don't know. They worked so hard to earn those things, I guess yeah. that they're like, no, 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 let me keep putting it out there. That's one step. What's one step in trust, but it's, it's not going to get you to the, end, to the finish line. So with you know, PCOS, understand that your doctor may not know how to diagnose it. I actually just had a couple posts on Instagram about PCOS and women were saying to me, I asked my doctor about PCOS and they were like, I don't even know how you diagnose. I don't know anything about it. I'm like, unacceptable, unacceptable. If ovaries walk into your office, you should know this. Like it should be the first thing in your mind because so many women have it. it yeah. That endometriosis. Oh, let's check. Okay. Yes or no. That should yeah. be the first thing you think of. But this is the thing is that most things in women's health don't get thought of or screened until they want to have a baby. There's like, oh, you know, yeah. the baby criteria. Do you want to have a baby? Yes. Okay. We're going to, we're going to do some serious medicine with you. You don't want to have a baby. Just take this pill. See you yeah. later. Like that's we're not cool. Yeah. Totally. So and many things affected by having your period regular, your yeah. skin health, your mood health, your gut health, everything is dependent on period regularity. And oftentimes it's just pushed under the rug and given the pill and okay, PCOS, whatever. And when you want babies, we'll put you on Clomid and that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to that right there, everything you just listed, that's what you should be writing down before you go to the doctor. Not just like how long are your periods? How infrequent are your periods? How often are they coming? What is it like when you have a period? But also what is your gut like? What is your gut like every single day? And what is your gut like around your period? What is your skin like? What is your mood like? What are your headaches like? Like every single system, your oh. hormones impact every single system. Every single system should be taken into account. Oftentimes the gyno will still brush it off though. Like you waited in the waiting room, you got this appointment, you sat there and you asked all these questions and they're like, what do you mean your gut health? Like we're talking about your periods. Mm-hmm. What do you tell a woman with PCOS to do at that point? So one is have the list of labs and, and come at it from a place of like, hey, uh, so here's the thing. As, as much as I kind of like went off on doctors, they're still humans. So you want to like be kind yeah. to them because if you're not kind, they're going to go fight, flight, or freeze, run out of the room, shut down, maybe even go off on you, make you feel bad. 
not like, and it's something where people are like, oh, you're a doctor. And it's like, but you're still a human. And you still have that response. Like when people come at you, you still like as a human, your hormones are still going to tell you run away. Like this is scary, run away. So with them, you want to have the list of labs and to say like, you know, I'm having these symptoms X, Y, and Z. And I'm just wondering like, what do you think could it potentially be polycystic ovarian syndrome? Would you be willing to run these tests and rule it out? If they say no, then you say, well, what I would like you to do uh, right now is I'd like you to document my request and then your reason for denying my request because I'm going to be asking for a copy of my chart notes. Oh. They're going to probably give you those labs because the thing is, is that that becomes their problem if five years down the line that they missed that diagnosis because they decided they didn't want to deal with it and they didn't want to bother in that moment. So that is something that I definitely recommend because if you say that in a visit, then they've got to write that down. They've got to put that in the chart notes and to say, I'm going to be requesting these um, afterwards. And you can say, and so you can't record, don't be recording your doctor. Okay. Like don't do that, but you can write it down and you can say, and I'm making a note that I requested this right here in writing and put the date on it. That's documentation on your end. If they come back and say, oh, that never happened. It's like, no, it happened. And you didn't do what I asked you to do. But most of the time they will end up doing those labs for you. And if they won't, they might write their reason and they might have a good reason. Like it is potentially that they would say, so let's say that you are, you know, um, if you, so, you know, this is like, if you are asking for like a full thyroid panel to your primary care provider and they say, I am only going to run a TSH because like, I don't, you know, running these additional labs, I don't know how to interpret those and it wouldn't change my treatment recommendations to you. That's a valid reason, but you need to know that. And they sometimes won't say that. They'll just be like, no, I'm not going to run those. So you don't need them. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, it doesn't mean you don't need them. You might still need them. But what they're saying is is that exactly. And with them stating that and putting in the chart notes, like, cool. Now we all know where we stand. Now, to find a doctor, I would say, like, the, the last thing I'd say is, like, if you want to be as successful as possible, talk to other people who have had good experiences with their doctor. So if this is why I'm like, get on social media, ask people, yes. say, I have PCOS, this is the area I'm in. You don't have to give people your address. You can just say, like, this is the area I'm in. Has anyone who works with a good doctor for PCOS? And Women will come in and support you. When women find a doctor they like, they will be like, let me tell you about my doctor. Like, let me just yeah, give yeah. them. And that's something that word of mouth is like going to win every time. Do yeah. you have a list of labs on your website that people can look at and re- reference before going to the doctor's office? Because I'm sure women in the audience are like, okay, but what labs? <laughs> yeah. So if you go to drbrighton.com, D-R-B-R-I-H, no, B-R-G-H-T-E-N.com. I have to say Zoom skipped and I saw my mouth moving. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. It's the one um, bad thing about Zoom is like, you know, yeah. it cuts in and out. You don't know if you said something perfectly. <laughs> I know, but I like, I just seen the video of my mouth skipping. My brain's like, oh yeah, no, let's keep going. Like, no, <laughs> you messed up. You messed up. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm dubbing over myself. So um, if you go to drbrighton.com, there are lots of articles and there's many that include lab tests. So lab tests for PCOS, how is PCOS oh, diagnosed? Good. 
There's also when to test labs. So I have an article all about when you should be testing hormones. If you're having a period, there's very specific times of your cycle of when you want to test estrogen, progesterone, FSH, LH. Um, when it comes to testosterone, what we specifically want to be looking for um, in women, thyroid, when should you be testing thyroid, being aware of things like biotin, you don't want to be taking that 72 hours within a thyroid test. So those different nuances, I have not there for you. Your doctor may not even be aware of some of those because if your doctor wasn't trained in nutrition or using nutritional supplements, they probably don't know that like there's these other interactions that can be happening with labs unless they happen to get that information somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And then just to touch on one last thing, um, when you said doctors are humans, like it's very true. They're absolutely, they're just like any other person with a job. And just imagine like when you're at your job and it's like three or 4 PM and it's your last task of the day, yeah. you just don't have the energy. It's emotionally draining. Emotionally already. draining. So think about that yeah. when you like see a doctor too, you have to be an advocate for yourself and not expect them to like be there for you. So just go in there yes. uh, with uh, well, like, that mindset and yeah. make it like an early morning appointment just to be sure. <laughs> well, and also know you don't know what happened in the room before you. So yeah. in the room before you, somebody could have just miscarried and lost their baby. Somebody might have cancer. Like somebody might've just started screaming at their provider because they're in the middle of a divorce and that's the breaking point that happened. So you don't know what happened in the room before you. You also, and like, here's the thing. Doctors are pretty damn good at leaving like their personal life behind. Yeah. But like, yeah, you know, especially like in the wake of like COVID, we are knowing patients who are dying, family members who are dying, like things that, this is an unprecedented time for humans altogether. Yeah. But just to understand that like whatever energy they're bringing, it might not be about you. So you don't have to take that on. You don't have to fix that. Just as much as you can, just go really matter of fact, be like, got, got my notes. And that's why it's so important to have your notes and to take notes when you're at your doctor's appointment, because if they come in and they've got just like their the bad vibes and they're just like, you're like, this person's in a funk and I don't know what's going on. You don't have to deal with that. You just go right to your notes and you focus on that piece and know that you, you always like, if you are feeling uncomfortable, you never have to consent to a physical exam. And I think that's really important because sometimes doctors come in with this funky energy in the room or they're making you feel a certain way. And then you're like, well, I'm here and I have to get my pap smear. So now I have to just like, that is a super vulnerable position to be in. Yeah. And, you know, as much as like, there's great, great gynecologists out there, there are definitely ones that like, maybe, maybe you want to come back another time or maybe you want to go to a different appointment. Just because you're there doesn't mean you're committed to getting undressed. Okay. Like you, you, this is, this is just like having sex. Like you oh can take God. back your consent at any point and be like, Nope, Nope, I'm out. I don't want anything to do with this. And we forget that because as society, we have been trained to be like, you know, that, that good girl, that good person. And you know, the white coat is on. So we have to do what they say and we have to respect it. And I just have to subject myself. No, you don't. No. You can say, I'm not feeling comfortable here. Like I'm not feeling comfortable. And you can say, I am not feeling comfortable because of your behavior. And I would like you to document that in my chart notes instead of calling me non-compliant. It is because I of your that. behavior. I'm not comfortable. If you can just keep your cool and articulate yourself, you'll always win, honestly. Mm -hmm. 
And it's important to, you know, have our listeners know that like you are in charge of your body. And when you go to the doctor's office and experience these situations where, you know, you're being handed birth control and you just feel brushed aside and you just got diagnosed and so on, you can be an advocate for yourself and say, you know what, this isn't the kind of care that I'm looking for. Maybe I can find a different doctor that will listen to me when I talk about my gut issues or when I ask for lab work. You know, you are in charge of yourself more than the person in the white coat who's in charge Mm -hmm. of it, you know, that you feel like is in charge of everything. So it's a very empowering episode. Yeah, it is. Well, good. I hope we've gotten enough information too. I hope people walk away and they're like, okay, okay, I can like that's something tangible. Do you have any advice for women who are on birth control right now and they don't want to get off because this is their form that they've chosen of contraception? Do you have any advice on how to reduce inflammation or, you know, manage their PCOS symptoms while on the pill? Because we often say, you know, do gluten and dairy free if that's helping you, you know, Mm -hmm. change your lifestyle, try to find ways to support whatever symptoms you're having and reduce them. Even if you're on the pill, do you have any advice for women on the pill? Absolutely. So if you're on birth control, you can support your body. And that's what I talk about and be on the pill does start with diet and lifestyle. You have to be getting quality sleep. If you're not getting quality sleep, you're going to be hitting on those and hating on those adrenal glands. And it's not going to be able to control inflammation or blood sugar as well. Um, And that's not just like, oh, I got in bed and I stayed there for eight hours. It's like, did you actually sleep? And do you wake feeling rested? Uh, Diet is absolutely an essential piece. So for some women, uh, going dairy and gluten-free absolutely does help. Um, I see dairy-free helps a lot with people's acne and with PCOS, it can be really beneficial. Some women will find, so even beyond the pill, I have people cut out gluten and dairy and then reintroduce it to figure out what is true for them. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, unless you have, so if you have celiac disease, gluten's like a hard no. I know people that are like, I have gluten in the United States. I don't feel great. I have brain fog or I have like joint pain or I break out with uh, a rash, then they go to like Italy that doesn't even allow wheat from the US to be brought in. And they're like, I'm totally fine. So is that like, that's like a true gluten sensitivity. That's like a big, big question, right? Mm -hmm. So gluten sensitivity different than celiac disease, which is autoimmune mediated disease because of gluten. So that's like a hard no with gluten, but you've got to test what's true for you. Some people find that okay, if I have like creamer in my coffee, I'm going to break out or I'm going to have mood swings. I just don't feel good. My periods are more painful. Other people find that, okay, you know, is if I, you know, stay uh, away from all dairy, except like a grass fed goat cheese kind of situation like this very, like they're fine. So again, there's no right or wrong. It's just what is true for you. And the way you do that is to take it out and test it. And I walk you through that in the book. Mm -hmm. Certainly, you know, when it gets to the conversation of like, you know, should I do a specialty diet? Maybe, maybe not. So, you know, we hear a lot about keto, intermittent fasting for PCOS, understand that the keto studies, they've been done on men, so we don't totally know. And Mm. that some women, you know, if they drop down in their carbs and they go too low in carbs, they actually stop ovulating. So, um, well, lower carb can be helpful for insulin resistance, blood sugar regulation in some people. 
For other people, it actually starts to mess with the ovulation. Without mm -hmm. ovulation, we don't have progesterone. Without progesterone, we can't dock uh, thyroid hormone onto our receptors as well. We start to get this whole hormonal cascade of issues. So yeah. uh, if you're on the pill or off the pill, you want to pay attention to your diet. And one key thing of being on birth control is making sure you have complete amino acids that runs your detox pathways through your liver and helps you get that estrogen out. Plenty of fiber so that you are pooping every day. You're feeding those good gut bugs. So you want to be a farmer, tend to those gut bugs. They, you also share them with your vagina. That's helping your pH. And eating cruciferous vegetables. So things like broccoli, kale, um, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, those will help you with your estrogen detox as well. And they're going to provide you fiber to get that out of your body. And then healthy fats which is gonna help with your blood sugar throughout the day if you're including healthy fats, especially, you know, one thing that I like with PCOS or, you know, I even do in myself is starting the day with higher fats and higher protein and vegetables. Um, yeah. So if you guys, anybody who knows me and like looks at my Instagram, uh, my breakfast is always like protein and then like sometimes like three cups of vegetables. And it's because I'm always like, I don't know what the day's going to look like. I got to get my like veggies on the front side. Um, but that's how I feel best. And I have energy throughout the day. If um, it's the funniest thing, like my husband was like, I want to mix it up. I want to make oatmeal. Oatmeal was like, don't feed Dr. Brighton oatmeal in the morning unless you <laughs> want a 2 p.m. devil in your house. <laughs> It's just something that, like, and I've always been this way through my whole life is like, and I look back to where I'm like, who was letting me start my day with like uh, corn frogs? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like legit. And I'm like, and I would eat like, and, and somebody else, I know there's other people like me where you would eat like three to four cups of cereal for yeah. breakfast in the morning and then low fat milk. Like what the hell eighties, what was going on in the 1980s? And then yeah. I'd be like tired in the afternoon and cranky. And by the time I got home from school, it like hated everybody. Yeah. Um, and then, and then in high school, so I want you guys to know, I'm going to tell you this so that you don't judge yourself. Okay. Because like, sometimes you're going to see my photos on Instagram and you're going to be like, Oh God, she eats so perfect. And she's so perfect. And no, 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 no. Like when I was in high school, I would be like, okay, I'm going to eat cornflakes with like a fourth a cup of sugar put on them. And oh, then like, I'm like, not even going to eat or I'm going to eat crumb donuts. But like, I don't want people to see me eat. And it's like a cool thing not to eat. Um, I was like way ahead of intermittent fasting, I guess. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> like, or I'd eat crumb donuts and then think that was a good lunch. And then if like, once I got a job and I was working, like, and I had my own money, then I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go buy a 29 cent cheeseburger from McDonald's. Like that was me as a teenager. Yeah. And then I'm like, <laughs> Why'd I have so many problems? Why were my periods? <laughs> Why did I feel so awful in my body? Um, so you guys, if that was you or currently is you know that like why I'm here, I'm telling you all of this, like I am just a little bit further on the road ahead. I yeah. fell in the potholes and yeah. I'm just turning around being like, there's a pothole step to the side. Don't that. that is such a good <laughs> analogy. Yeah, very true. Cause I was the same way when I was a teenager, like yeah. I was eating burgers, a dollar menu, all this every day before I went to work. And it's just like, I like, just candy. like you said, the doctor, it's just like, you progress in your life and you're, you'll be at a different place 10 years from now if you or just one year or one year. Yeah. It's just about like taking a step one mm -hmm. step at a time and you like, you just get there eventually. Totally.
Absolutely. And that is really important to say. Yeah. One step at a time. You're not going to like 180 your life overnight. And I will tell you my least successful patients is I'm like, we're going to go slow. I want you to incorporate this thing. And then after that, in the next week, try to bring this thing on and like, we're going to go slow. And they're like, nope, I'm going to go from zero to a hundred, like in one week and I'm going to do it all. I'm going to change it all. And then a month later, they're like, I'm sitting at home, chugging a bottle of wine, drinking chocolate cake. Cause I give up. And, and then they're like, oh, I'm so bad. I'm like, nope, that is totally normal and typical yeah. behavior. Uh-huh. But if you go really slow <clears throat> and you're like, okay. So like, um, I have a program called the birth control hormone reset program. And my A-type personalities will come in and they'll be like, I want to do everything all at once. And then, then they like, just are like, I totally fail. What happened? And I'm like, I get that. I'm an A-type personality too. I'm like, I'm going to be the best at this as of yesterday. So (laughs) instead in the program, we're like, we're going to do this mini challenge. And for the next five days, I want you to focus on this one thing. And I want to see how do you feel like this? This is an online program. This is what I learned from my patients. So thank all my patients because they taught me like, how to, and, and I put my patients then through this online program to be like, okay, how much is this like the Dr. Brand experience and like how successful are you? And with um, these small little challenges of observe how you feel and focus only on this one thing, it actually, it, this creates lasting change because you changed one thing, you hyper-focused on getting it right, getting that foundation and, and not caring so much about everything else. And when you saw the benefits, it's positive reinforcement I'm not negative reinforcement doesn't like that stuff don't work. So we want positive reinforcement, like good job. I'm feeling better though. Right. This is getting awesome. Then you've mastered that. Let's move on to the next week and let's layer one thing after another. So that by the time that you get to the end of five weeks, you're like, Oh my God, I completely transformed my entire life within five weeks. I'm feeling so much better. All this has changed. And it didn't feel like my life was like suddenly disrupted because it was just those small taking those small steps every single day. But we often think like, okay, like, you know, people get on my website and they're like, okay, I'm going to have to like, I have to sleep better starting tonight, tomorrow morning. I'm going to throw out all my food tomorrow morning. I'm going to eat all the right things. I'm going to have that all dialed in. I'm not going to stress. Oh, I'm stressing. You shouldn't be stressing. I'm not going to stress. And like, oh, I'm going to exercise. I'm going to exercise like two hours every single day. And like, then you burn out. You should burn out because it's not sustainable. We want to establish sustainable life changing behavior with a recognition that we're still humans. So if you want to drink a glass of wine, you drink a glass of wine. If you want to eat a piece of chocolate, you eat a piece of chocolate. And we just do us and then we move on. And when you, mm-hmm. I don't do diet dogma. I don't do this whole mindset. So I actually like, because of the food pyramid, this is the irony is that people are like, you know, they vilify wellness. They're like, these specialty diets make people orthorexic. I was like, I actually had orthorexia because of the freaking food pyramid that was never yeah. based on science. Yeah. And I betrayed my own body by thinking I had to eat six servings of grains a day, even though I felt terrible. But I was like, this is the, like, I have to adhere to this. And this is like, and I realized what that did to me. And I'm like, that's all dogma. All that ever mattered was how did I feel in my body when I was eating these things? Absolutely. And knowing that you can also mess up. I also realized like I was struggling because I, try to eat six to nine servings of vegetables every day. And back then it was like, I can't eat all these, like I can't eat all the grains and eat all the vegetables. And because the food pyramid said that grains outrank vegetables, I would be like, well, if I have to choose, I need to eat grains. That was all kinds of stupid when I look back based on what I know now, but like, what good does that do judging? But it's just to say that like, 
anything out there that's super rigid can make you develop orthorexia and have an unhealthy relationship with food, which is where I come more from the perspective of all that really matters is what's true for you. I might sit here and say, oh, gluten can do X, Y, and Z in some people. And you're like, that's not true for me. Then who cares what I said? It's yeah. not true for you. Yeah. I'm a complete advocate of that because we, we are over here saying gluten and dairy free and it works for so many women and it probably doesn't work for a bunch more. So mm -hmm. everyone needs to be an advocate for their own health and investigate yeah. their health. And if gluten and dairy works or if keto works or if intermittent fasting works, try it out. If that's what, what you feel healthy doing, because some people don't even want, can't, can't mm -hmm. try it out because it's triggering and that's okay yeah. too. Whatever works for you, get the support you need and push forward so that you can reverse your PCOS yeah. and live and thrive with PCOS and not have to struggle with all of these symptoms. Mm -hmm. And understanding that, you know, when it comes to food, what you're saying that you might also cut out gluten and dairy and be like, it didn't do anything. I don't think it's an issue. And then a year later be like, but wait, I cut out gluten and dairy. I'm doing way better. What happened? Well, there might've been something else going on. Like there might've been like so much gut inflammation taking place mm -hmm. that it wasn't enough to cut out gluten and dairy. And then later you find like, oh, that's working for me now. Does that mean that like, oh, suddenly it's like, okay, I did something wrong or no, it's just interesting new information and you can operate and, and you can operate with knowing your limits. So yeah. I know, for example, that I, I know my limit with cheese. I know I'm going to get acne. So, it, it, you know, it's something that I never had acne. I came off of birth control. I developed cystic acne. My doctor actually thought I had PCOS. So they just said to me, you have PCOS. Like your period's gone. You have acne, cystic acne, you have PCOS. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, hold up. You going to test me for that? Like, I don't have PCOS. I had regular predictable periods before I got on birth control. And my doctor says to me, well, you're misremembering your periods. I'm like, no, when you bleed for like over a week thinking you're going to die and you miss school and you count it down like doomsday, you don't misremember that. Yeah. Um, and that's just gaslighting. And I was like, I, and I, you know, having been in med school at the time, I was like, okay, I know how to diagnose PCOS. This is not how you diagnose PCOS. And I didn't have blood sugar issues going on. I didn't have, uh, you know, excess androgens going on. Like, um, you know, was there potentially like androgens triggering my skin? And yeah, but it is likely a combination of things happening. So, you know, with that, just to understand that things can change, things can, you can do different interventions and then things change and they look differently. And you have to always ask what is true for me in mm -hmm. all of that. And you're 100% right that if you feel triggered in cutting out food, so people with eating disorders, um, you know, I, I will get people who say like, well, you know, I want to do this thing, but I, I'm feeling triggered. It might trigger my ED. And I'm like, then you need no. to work with a provider one-on-one yeah. on one, and you need to have mental health support in that. Everybody needs mental health support. By the way, it's like one of those prongs of health that you absolutely need. Guys, I apologize. Someone just like started a jackhammer and a crane right outside my house. Oh, I don't hear it. Don't it's worry. It's okay. We don't hear okay, it. Good. Oh, God. I was like, oh, my God. Um, <clears throat> I've lost my place. We're going to have to edit that. What was I saying? Mental health. Mm. Yeah, working working one-on-one -on -one with, a, with a client doctor. Yeah. 
So yeah, everybody needs mental health support, especially if you have a chronic illness. And if you have an eating disorder, you cannot be following some diet online or working with a provider or practitioner who's not experienced. I don't care if they're a registered dietitian. I don't care if it's a doctor. If they are not experienced in eating disorders, they are not the right person to partner with. So with my patients who have eating disorders, I'm like, we're working with a psychologist or psychiatrist. That's most of the time. Sometimes people have a counselor they work with, um, but that we have to have that person on board. And before like we do, and I will say, you know, you often, it'll come up like, oh, would an elimination diet help me? Yes, it may help you in terms of your symptom, these symptoms, but it may do more harm than good. So I just don't think it's worth it. And so this, you know, my approach is always nutrient density with people. Let's bring in so much great nutrient dense foods that we just start to crowd out other foods that might be problematic. Mm-hmm. Are those I foods bad? That on your website as well. I've noticed. Yeah. So we don't like focus that. on that. Vitamin um, deficient, like, you know, understanding if you're deficient in something, replacing it with the right food, supporting your gut health with cruciferous mm-hmm. vegetables. I have explored your website so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's what you'll notice. I don't sit there and say, this is a bad food. What happens right. when we label a food bad? When you say a food's bad and then you eat the food, now suddenly you're bad. How are you bad for eating food? You're not yeah. bad for eating food. Oh, well, I ate like the chocolate cake or I ate a bag of Doritos. And it's like, oh, okay. So you as an organism are seeking out the most calorically dense food because in nature that has the most nutrients. It just so happens that food engineers made your brain get tricked by this Dorito that you're eating. Think that you did a good thing by eating the most calorically dense, i.e. nutrient dense foods, except it's devoid of nutrients. You're not bad for doing that. That's exactly how you're programmed. You just did a very good thing Mm -hmm. if you were out in the jungle or you were out on the plane, right? Or like, yeah, but sorry, you're a modern human now and scientists be tricking you. (laughs) And so you're not bad for that. That's exactly what you're designed to do. So we have to move away from that concept. And that's really like, I mean, I think about the... uh, the like, just have a shake a day, like, oh, so we've got, um, you know, our paleo or plant-based detox, which some people do really well of like, just having that as a smoothie and, and that's all they do. And they're like, that's my meal for the day because it's like full of fiber and fat and they put all these things in it. Um, but like, I know people that are like, okay, let's you, you like, you know, to be a healthy person, you need to like eat one meal a day and then have one to two shakes a day. Wait, yeah. what? Like, so now like you're, you're, and then they say processed food's bad, but then you have this highly processed food product. It's like, yes, it's food based. And yet that's very short sighted. So it's something where like, I give people the option. Some people are like, yeah, I just want to use that in a smoothie and have that. That's not really my jam. I will put it in a smoothie. I will have that. And then I usually have something alongside. I like to mm-hmm. eat things. <laughs> and the yeah. more informed people are with podcasts like this, the more they can make the right decisions and, um, and feel better about their food choices so that yeah. they're not 
feeling guilty about something when they shouldn't be. And yeah, and it's like know. it's just one meal, one day. It doesn't like reflect on all the work you've done in the week or in the month. It's just one day out of the month yeah. that you can just move forward and not think twice about. Yeah, and I hope or this just observe. Has- like, yeah. how did you feel? I mean, that's what I asked my patients. So how did you feel after that? <clears throat> oh, I felt guilty. I felt this. Okay. So aside from that, how did you feel in your body? Oh, I actually was like really tired. Yeah, my joints hurt for like a couple of days afterwards. Oh my God, my migraine came on. Oh, I couldn't poop. Like, okay. So now your body just mirrored to you what happens. Now you understand your threshold. That's interesting data. Like, that's the thing about like these like mess ups as people call them or like falling oh, off the wagon thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm like, it's actually like data. Yeah, yeah. Data. It's a lifestyle. It's a process. But it's, like, like she's saying too, it's like, it's teaching you Oh, like you felt like so-and-so after eating this, yeah. then it, it's like, it's like data. your brain is learning now. It's connecting the dots. And like next time you'll be like, I don't want that now because yeah. your brain makes a connection before yeah. you even need it. And it's you realize like advocate for your own yeah. health and not letting the person with the white coat telling you, tell you what your body is or isn't because you know, because you tried something and you, yeah. d- you have data. Totally. And it's like, um, I hear this a lot with like the glass of red wine where women will know I'm going to have a headache tomorrow, but I really wanted that glass of wine. And it's like, well, you knew what was going to happen. And they're like, yeah. So I tried to drink more water. I took like, you know, uh, turmeric or fish oil, anti-inflammatories, did some magnesium. Like, you know, I did some things to try to mitigate that. Some people will say, oh, that's bad. That's wrong. You just like shouldn't have done it all together. I'm like, so you're a human having a human experience. Did you have a good yeah. time having that glass of wine? Okay, great. And like you had a headache the next day <laughs> and you knew what you're getting into. And like, you have the right to understand the consequences and still choose that behavior. Right. Like that's your life to live. Like, and if you're okay with the consequences, then so be it. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Jolene Bryan. This was super informative. Yes, it was. And our audience is probably feeling very empowered right now. Hell yeah. Yeah. And we are going to give away two copies of your book, um, Beyond the Pill. So uh, to our listeners, if you follow us on PCOS Weight Loss on Instagram, we'll be uh, putting the details on how you can win a copy of the book but if you're interested right now if you go to amazon or i'm sure any other bookstore website you'll find her book beyond the pill mm-hmm. uh, by dr jolene brighton you can also follow her on instagram at dr jolene brighton and uh, her website uh, drbrighton.com you can find uh, different lab tests you can request as well as the reviews on available doctors uh, in the united states yes thank you so awesome. much again yeah, and did you guys? I meant to ask you. Did you guys start the hashtag PCOS weight loss? Hashtag? Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It always is like whenever I put in hashtag PCOS, is the first one to populate, and I I was like, oh, I wanted to ask if you guys started that. Maybe. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Know. Yeah, but <laughs> it seems like uh, we're always like on the front of like the hashtag PCOS, PCOS or something yeah. at this point. But yeah. yeah, is there is there any other point that I miss uh, where they can contact you or anything like that? Well, you know, one thing for people listening, if you are interested in getting started on a hormone balancing diet, you can go to drbrighton.com slash hormone kit. And I actually have a free meal plan and recipe guide. You will not find serving sizes on there. Um, People always write and they're like, what are the serving sizes? How much should I eat? I'm like, how much does your body want? (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, you already know that. Um, It's also important to understand that Serving sizes, uh, it's great for like gauging like how much food am I going to make, 
but also know that your portion sizes of what you're going to eat, if you are cycling, will change throughout your cycle. So you're going to want to, you know, and you will intuitively move towards this. You don't have to have like some dogmatic plan that's like, oh, well, at this point in the cycle, eat this much carbs and this, that. No, listen to your body. It's going to depend on how well did you sleep? What's your workout regimen been like? But, you know, these things will change as you start cycling. So just to understand, because if you're going to write me and be like, what are the portion sizes? You have to figure out the portion sizes for your body because I'm not going to pretend to know what you need. Also, like, I always find it funny when people are like, this is the portion size everyone should eat. It's based on a 2000 calorie diet. And I'm like, okay, is that even the right calorie diet for everybody? No. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Bless you. Bless you. (laughs) Thank you. Alrighty. All well, right. Thank you yeah. so much. Yeah, thank, you. thank you guys. We'd love to have you back on sometime soon. Maybe talk about more about birth control or any other topics that you'd like to discuss with PCOS. Absolutely. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Have a great day, guys. You too. Alrighty. Bye. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to come check out The Sisterhood. It's my monthly membership site where sisters just like you are learning how to move through the stages of PCOS. From stage one, cold and alone at the doctor's office, to stage five, nailing the PCOS lifestyle, gluten and dairy free. Get ready to finally feel in control of your body again. Sisterhood.